Welcome to Series 7 of The Dig Podcast and I am your host Caroline O'Neill. In this series I am talking to business owners, entrepreneurs and experts who are sharing their journey and preparing us for the future. What does the working world look like in the future? It changes every week, every day, every hour. So tune in each week as I ask my guests how they are future-proofing their business. Today on the Dig Podcast, where am I? Oh my goodness, I am in the middle of Belfast City Centre in a new civic space, a communal space for people. I just rocked in here. Women in business were having a conference and they had secured a wee pod for me. And I didn't really realise the cool place that it is. So thank you to Women in Business and Belfast City Council. It's right where next door to Premark where the old where Tesco's used to be, for anybody who's wondering. So this is my podcast studio today. There is background noise, but we're gonna go with it. They've actually just started to play a piano. They must have knew the dig podcast was about to start, but we're gonna embrace that. My guest might sing towards I'm not singing. <laughs> Just so we're all clear, I'll not be singing. We might both sing for the end, but just so you know, that's what the background noise is. But we're going to embrace it. I have the mics on and hopefully you can still hear our conversation. Today on the Dig Podcast, I am speaking to Grania Kelly. And Grania is many things, as you will find out when we're finished. But she is a TEDx speaker. She's founder and CEO of Bubble Bum, which is the world's first inflatable car booster seat. Have you ever heard of Bubble Bum? I do know about it because I heard Grania speak years ago at a Women in Business conference and she always stood out with me because she talks very real, very real person with actionable advice, the type of person I like and the type of person I know you all love on the podcast. She has sold millions of her product all over the world. It was stocked in Walmart, in Target stores, um, and the growth has been huge. But with that has came many challenges, which Grania is going to talk to us about today. Some of, some of which have been, well, they've been life-changing and, and um, she's, we're going to delve deep into how then she had to pivot, change the model of her business and how now she gets a Friday off. Isn't that the dream? A Friday off, but she still does housework, of course, as she told me whenever we were chatting before we came on, you never get a day off whenever um, you're a mummy or a wife, I don't think, or a partner. Um, yeah, we're going to hear, you know, about investment like it's very hard to know how to navigate that whole space of getting investment but granny is very good at giving actionable tips we're going to hear so much but i'm going to just introduce her to you now thank you so much for being on the dig podcast it's actually very humbling they've been asked oh, to be on your podcast no no thank, no, you. thank you so women in business had you here this morning and you've already told your story i, I sat and back and listened to it again but um, i know you're going to share it all with the dig podcast listeners so for people who don't know granny take us back to those early days what how did this all start your fabulous business that you have now so i came up with the idea for the bubble bum when i was traveling with my own children and every time I arrived at the car rental desk, of course, they didn't have the car seat that I had pre-booked in advance. And I was a travel agent at the time. So I was like, I was like so full of my own self-importance when I arrived to the desk and said, oh, but I pre-booked them in advance. And they told me that I should have read the small print. Okay. And they're only available, they're, sorry, they're on request, which means that if there's none available, you don't get one, even though I had pre-booked it. So I started going around all the car rental desks and asking them, do you not have any booster seats and why not? And they said, we have nowhere to store them. So I came home and I rang the crash test lab, as you do. As you do, yes. As you do. <laughs> and I asked them why there was no such thing as an inflatable car seat. And they said, well, you know, car seat has to be tested in all these different ways. And I was like, listen, I'm not an engineer. 
can you just talk to me as if I'm a three-year-old and explain it to me as you would a three-year-old so that I can understand? So they gave me all the reasons why you couldn't have an inflatable car seat and the main reason was that it had to be crash tested, deflated. Okay. So if it got punctured during a crash, it had to still be able to pass the crash testing. And I thought, do you know those camping cushions that you used to get? Yes, yes. And if you got a puncture, you couldn't get the damn things to go down. Yes. So you couldn't even pack them away. So that was the thought behind the bubble gum. Yes. The same type of technology. And the, the rest is history. That's why I came up with the idea and I took a flight out to China to manufacture it and started selling all within nine months. So you've obviously got a very entrepreneurial mind though. Like we've all thought of things, but we've never took action. You just obviously are that type of person. I am gonna, you must have had that business drive in you, did you? Well, I don't know. I suppose in our house, we were always brought up to be resourceful. Mm -hmm. Like re really resourceful. It was a thing for my parents and my dad particularly. Would and he would have been a big influence in my life. It would have been. There's no such word as canny. There's no such word as can. No such word as canny. Canny is a, find a way, is find that a Strabans or where are you from oh, again? Derry. Derry. That's a Derry speak, is it? Mm -hmm. Canny. So there, yeah, you, there's no no thing you can't do. No such word as canny. Okay, and then so you. I know there's a whole conversation around. Um, sourcing factories in China and all and and that's definitely a conversation that I'd love to have with you someday but I want to talk about the whole journey and if we we'll focus on that I know we're not mm -hmm. going to get through it all day yes so um well Grania will return someday hopefully <laughs> in the podcast but so so you you started that journey of developing your product what was the most challenging part then of actually getting it to a stage where it was sellable the regulatory requirements because there's different regulations in different countries. Mm -hmm. So in the EU and the UK, there's one regulation. Then there's a different regulation for North America. And there's another regulation for Canada and a different one for China. So all of these regulations have got 2,000 page documents that you've got to adhere to. And unfortunately, that's not my forte. I'm a really bad reader. Okay. Really bad reader to the point whereby I often thought that I was dyslexic, where I would read a chapter of a book and I would get to the end and I would, even if I read it aloud, I had no clue what happened in that chapter. So for me, it was really hard. I was going through everything with a highlighter, highlighting because I could, and then I would go to somebody else in a, in a testing laboratory and say to them, can you tell me, is this, is this what I'm understanding? Is that correct? So there's a lesson in that there too, about always asking, not being afraid to sound stupid. Is oh, that no, right? I, listen, I'm the expert at sounding stupid. If it's a stupid question to be asked, I'm your girl, all day long. And how do you get the confidence to ask that stupid question? Because I've always asked stupid questions. Yes. It's not about having the confidence. It's, it's about, if I don't ask a question, I'm far stupider for having not asked the question, right? Would you not rather learn? I think that's a big, for people who are listening to the podcast especially, they don't know these things and they're afraid to ask. And I, I, I always ask. Oh, I, I actually was in the bank and I had, I had filled out, um, I had done a business plan for the bank, which they hadn't read, by the way. Okay. And they wanted extra section in this and an extra section in that, and this guy hadn't read it. This is back in the very beginning. And he said to me, uh, he started talking in all these um, abbreviations. And I said, listen, what does that mean? I don't understand what that means. He didn't know what it meant either. <laughs> right? He couldn't tell me what the abbreviation stood for. Uh -huh. so, Ask the question. I was at a, an event recently. It was actually a women in business event and everybody kept talking to me about the FSB. And I was Hi. like, I, I knew I should know, but I didn't know, right? And then I was like, I, I just feel so stupid here. Yeah. And then I just said to the girl beside me, FSB, 
FSB, what does that mean? She's like, oh, the Federation of Small Businesses. And I was like, oh, but I actually, I felt stupid asking it, but I was so glad I did, because then I, I knew what it was, but abbreviations get me too. I think you nearly need to always ask. So I think there's a lesson definitely in that. Never feel stupid, because you don't know do you know, right? Uh -huh. and, and you don't know what you don't know either. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. I love that. So um, never be afraid to ask, because if it's not your industry and it's not your forte, how the hell would you know, mm -hmm. is what I always say. So anyway, so you um, were always very forward thinking and asking the questions. And then the regulations were obviously the hardest part mm -hmm. for you to get that to market. Now. We're doing all of this and you're developing this product and you're two wee boys too. Yeah. So talk to us about that. What happened then? Because you started to travel a lot. Yeah, I started, well, first and foremost, I couldn't have done it without a supportive husband. Absolutely not. And he really encouraged me to do all that. I think he probably wanted me out of the house, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so our relationship was working really well because he never saw me. Yes. And our two boys, I had to sacrifice so many things for them. And I would have asked them the question, do you want us to go for two weeks to Disneyland and do you want to do whatever at Christmas time and they'll say yes and I'll say well for us to do that I won't be there for your end of year and I might not be there for your birthday and they're like that's okay as long as you buy me a present boys are very good very they're good like, as long as a present comes in they don't overthink it and I'm like right that's fine as long as we agree those parameters with the children and they know it's it's whenever they expect to see you at something and you don't turn up that's the issue. So I just was always very clear, if we're going to do X, Y, and Z, I'm not going to be able to attend these things. But if you want me to attend those things, I'll do that. And did that help you cope with the thing that people talk about now, which is the guilt of parents? Not, of not at all. No, you still felt what we all feel. Mother of God, you're, that is what you're born to do, you feel guilty. So how do you manage that then? You, you managed it you by having it. You feel guilty. So right. You just have to suck it up and feel guilty. And you know what? You're not the only person feeling guilty. You feel guilty. If you weren't feeling guilty about leaving your children, you would feel guilty about not going to work. So, like, there's no winning. I know. I know. That's really good advice. I think everybody's just feeling the same. I uh, interviewed somebody in the podcast last week. And actually, I had a two full days, right? I'm a wee girl starting nursery. Oh. And I, Jared said to me before I went down on the first day, you're very quiet. Did I do something wrong? I was like, no, no. And that just... probably wasn't about like you. <laughs> I said, I'm just trying to figure out how, when I'm going to bath Tess for nursery. And he was like, what? And I said, because I'm going to be away from six in the morning to half eight at night. It takes an hour to do her, her. Anyway, this isn't about me, but I, the guilt overwhelmed me, yeah, girl, yeah. I felt I was crying and everything, but anyway, so I, it's good to hear that. Everybody goes through it mm -hmm. and you just have to find your way through because it's just part of life, isn't yeah. it? So anyway, the two boys, you promised them Disneyland or yeah. whatever, and, and you took off to America for all your different, will you actually tell us what happened then? You moved there. So I came down one morning and I'd said to my husband, well, first of all, what had happened was I rang the crash test laboratory in America and I said, can somebody help me? I'm trying to bring in an inflatable car seat. And I know in the background they were probably laughing, right? And I said, can somebody help me? And I want to get my product crash tested. And they were like, yeah, we'll get back to you in a few weeks, man. And I said, no, no, I want somebody to get back to me today. I want to speak to somebody today. No, that won't be possible. Anyway, I must have rung them about 70 times and they still didn't give me any information. And I, my husband came down the stairs and I said to him the next morning, I said, uh, we need to go to America. And he said, oh, okay, then thinking that we'll go on holidays. Yeah. You do. And I said, no, 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 we need, we need to go to America because I've got to get this product crash tested for the American market. And I'm like, are you in or are you out? <laughs> and he, wouldn't you love to love with me? Oh my gosh, yes. And he, was, and he said, 
he said, well, if this is what you want to do, no, I'm all in. We'll do it. He's some man. He is some man. I told you, like, I couldn't have done it without him. And mm. really and truly, I attribute all of this to him and the support that he gives. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, and he now works with me as well. And we moved to America for a year and took the two boys, obviously, and the dog. And even the dog had an American accent. Was <laughs> and what was that like then? When you were, What happened out there then for that year? Well, I, I joined the, there's a group of people in America called the Child Passenger Safety Technicians. And, that's, and it's all about car seats and fitting car seats in your cars. And, and they're mainly like police, policemen, firemen, I say men, but men or women, doctors, nurses, that, that's the sort of people who would be training to do this. And I decided I'll train to be a child passenger safety tech. And then I'll see what these people are telling their customers, because it's great market research for me. It's also getting me in front of parents. And then my children were at a school there, so I was bringing all the children home like the child catcher. I wasn't allowing my children to go to anybody's house because they're all serial killers. Okay. You know that. That's okay. what I was brought up to believe, that everybody was a serial killer. Um, and they brought the, the, all their children's friends back to my house and then they were my focus group. Okay. I didn't have to pay for any of them. But was this a strategy or was this just you learning as you went? Like, did you know this is what your plan was? Or were you just on the go, kind of embracing every opportunity? I'm just trying to figure out what way your mind was there. Were you being mentored by someone that said you need to do this? Or was this just a journey that unfolded for you? I think it probably was a journey that unfolded. I would love to say it was strategic. Yeah. Part of it was strategic yeah. and part of it just like taking risks and like um i think a lot of people when they're especially when they're starting out granny and business as you know they think they have to have it all figured out and no. they need a strategy i and still haven't got it all figured out yeah and the business plan thing that nobody really reads anyway no. that you said people get obsessed by that don't they then so that's really refreshing to hear that you built this multi-million pound business based on just learning as you go. So so the focus groups were happening and things were really starting to take off yeah. in America then. Tell us about what happened then. Well, we didn't actually launch in America until I moved back. Okay. And what, what I did was I attended this um, exhibition in America. Well, we, just, we, we exhibited at the exhibition. It was myself and another girl that I had enrolled as a salesperson with it. And, and she was really good as well. And whenever, whenever, we, were, whenever we were exhibiting, this guy came walking by and I said, he was laughing at the same because it was bubble bum. He mm -hmm. thought this was very funny, ha ha. And I said, come on over there, I chat to you, as you do. And he came over and we had won the Innovation Award. Okay. We girl from Derry won the Innovation Award for the biggest children and babies convention in America, right? Wow. Put that out there. <laughs> yes, definitely, anyhow, we've recorded anyhow, that. Yeah. Anyhow, this guy came over and he had his lanyard on and I said, who are you? And he said, well, I'm Dawn. And he was tucking the lanyard inside his coat. And I said, no, Dawn, who are you? Where are you from? So I pulled his lanyard out. He had a gold, a gold lanyard. And the gold lanyard was only for like senior buyers, which I didn't even know. And I turned it around and his name was Dawn, anyhow. And he was the senior buyer for the category at Walmart. And I had been chatting to him for ages at this point. And then I was like, Dawn, you're a really nice guy. Don't take it personally, I said, but I can't talk to you, you know. And he said, why not? What are you talking about? You can't talk to me. And I said, I've heard what you do to small businesses and I, and I just can't talk to you. And he said, 
Uh, well, he started giving me all the reasons why that was wrong and how they support small businesses, female-owned businesses and all the rest. And I said, look, I know. And I don't want you to take it the wrong way. I think you're a really nice guy. <laughs> and I really enjoyed talking to you, but we can't talk to you about this. Meanwhile, the lady who's in sales, she had slid down the display. She's on the ground behind me. And I went around, she's like, what the fuck? What did you tell him? And I said, I told him that we can't do business with him. She said, everybody at the show was waiting to see him. Like everybody. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know, but we can't do business with him because we're not ready. And the truth is, if we had done business with him then, we never would have gotten into Walmart. Because okay. we just weren't, we weren't ready. We weren't ready financially and we didn't have the people. So mm -hmm. we just weren't ready to go. And then he contacted us then, that was in the September. In the October, we were on the headlines of, we were on some page of the USA Today. Wow. Because we had won some award. And he rang us again and he said, you know, what kind of, how much stock do you have? And we said, oh, well, you're a really nice guy. I still can't <laughs> talk to you. But then years on down, we did actually speak to them and we launched in 4,500 Walmart stores. So you've great, you've great vision, Grania, to know, because sometimes you can move too quick and then things can crumble, but you had that vision to know you weren't ready, um, which is admirable because sometimes you'd be overwhelmed by the fame of being approached by Walmart. Do if you, know? you were baking a cake and you've got the most beautiful ingredients, and you put your cake into the cake and put it in the oven and Mr. Kipling comes past your door, you're not going to say, come quick and taste this cake before it's baked. Why would you do that? You're not putting your best foot forward. No, you're so right, but um, I guess there's lots of people who would have just been all over that, but um, great hindsight to, or great vision to see that you weren't ready. So how did you get ready? We scaled up from a people perspective and we took on investment. And then taking on the investment, we were then ready to launch in stores. So uh, that language of taking on investment, uh, always, I always wonder, what is, how do you do that? Like, I mean, there'll be people listening, they're like, I, I need investment, I want investment, but they've no idea. I think it's a conversation isn't talked about enough. Yeah. The Dig Podcast needs your help. Did you know that we have thousands of people download the podcast each week, but still people haven't subscribed or followed on the channel? So I'm asking you, if you listen on Apple or Spotify, if you could hit follow. If you listen on YouTube, then hit that subscribe button. It means that I can reach out to even more guests, bring even more actionable advice that can help you in your business. People don't talk about this, I don't think. Um, I, I do hear it a wee bit more now because I'm in the women in business circles, but tell us, Grania, how do you, what, what, how does that look? How do you get investment? So first of all, you need to kind of know how much you need and why you need it. Yes. And I always think that those are, people think, I need to get bigger so I need the money, but they don't add to the why do I need it. You don't just grow because you have money. And an investor doesn't want to hear things like, oh, I need it because I have to pay back a loan, or my granny gave me 50 grand, so I would like to give her back that money now, and then I can run the business myself. Like, that's no benefit to an investor. So if you're looking at it and saying, I'm going to grow my business to four times its size over whatever period of time, and you can get your story ready, you're then in a position to understand what you need the money for. And if you literally break it down into small chunks, I, I chunk everything right down and keep taking it back and be really granular about it, it means that you'll be prepared for investment. And then what I actually did was I, I pitched at, God, I pitched at a couple of different events and I pitched at one of them only for the crack. And I said, if I pitch for a million and I need a half a million, Sure, I'll see how I get on for the crack because I really need experience. I actually got the investors that night, but I only took a half a million. 
really probably should have took a full million and I asked a friend of mine um, from the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year alumni I asked him to give me some advice on how much to look for and he says I'm going to give you a rule of thumb that I use it's pure country mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a rule of thumb that I use you take the figure you think you need you double it and add a wee bit and that's how much you actually need mm -hmm. and he was so right it just means that I could have scaled much more quickly by taking extra money and how do you get the confidence to pitch to an investor Grania? Like you're saying that, and there's people listening going, oh my God, I would crumble. Like you're saying, I, I, I did it for the crack. Like I know you have that, I need that confidence, but have you any tips for people who are needing to do this, but just haven't got the nerve? But you're, you're, if you believe in what you're doing, like you're giving them an opportunity. You're not, you're not begging. Like they're getting something. They're not giving it to you for free. They're getting a share of your business that you really believe in. So it's not like, Oh, please give me your money. Like, if they want to be on board and they've got something to offer more than money, great. If they're only giving you money, do you know what? You can get a loan from somewhere. You're so right. But do you nearly feel, I always watch. I always say you're getting under bed with them. Imagine, just imagine, just think, because that's exactly what it feels like. And you want to make sure it's the right one. I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's such a good way to look at it. But, and then what about in today's world, if people are, how do they actually find investors, Grania? Well, there's a whole lot of different ways that you can find investors. You can go, if, if you're, it depends on how much money you're looking to raise. Yes. And it's actually more difficult, I think, to raise the small amount. And if you needed to raise 50,000 or 100,000, it's more difficult to raise that than it is to raise over a million, okay. in my opinion. Yes. Because it takes the same amount of work to get that and you'll end up having what I would consider to be inexperienced investors. Yes. And that in itself can take up all of your time and really injure your business because your business needs your time. Mm -hmm. What I would suggest is there are lots of different um, programs that you, your Invest NIE executives should be able to give you, pinpoint you in different directions to find like funding. You, you, you can get funding that isn't investment, like for, you can get, um, a TDI, but let's say you were doing a patent, you're making your patent application. If you've got an Invest NIE executive, mm -hmm. you can apply for this TDI, and I can't even remember what it stands for, it's just more of a TDI, mm -hmm. technical something or other, and they will pay a significant proportion of the cost of your patent. Okay. Now that's big. That is Because big. that means you're not giving away equity in your company. Mm -hmm. And then once you, when, once you have exhausted all those avenues, you would then look. So look for the grants first and then look for the investment after that. that that's what I think. And absolutely, through Invest NI, there's Intertrade Ireland, yeah. your local enterprise agencies, all those people you need to be speaking to yes. and don't be afraid to ask, like uh -huh. we talked about. But they'll also be able to point you in the direction of things that are happening locally where you can go and meet with different groups who are managing investors. Yes. Like the likes of the Halo Group, right? Or there was, there was HBAN as well. I don't know if that's still operational, but but certainly and also if you can get yourself a financial advisor they should also be able to help you with that okay that's a whole other conversation isn't mm -hmm. it oh my god a financial advisor so so you, you you scaled up you got more people on the team you got investment that doesn't always mean that everything's deadly sure it doesn't not at all sure so what happened what happened well we launched into walmart stores and we also launched into target stores so we were in six and a half thousand stores across north america and we weren't making any money in those stores. Talk to us about that, because that is something that because is... Because there were so many chargebacks, and we were small, 
and we needed somebody we needed to employ somebody to sit on each of those accounts to manage them the, the financial aspect and to manage all these chargebacks because what they were doing I'll give you an example and um, I'll give you an example of Walmart so we were selling to them and let's say your terms were net 14 so 2% net 14 which meant that they would pay us within 14 days and we would give them 2% discount and they used to collect their goods from us okay so we weren't shipping it to them they were collecting it from us then that they weren't paying us for maybe 6 80 90 days and we were like guys you know your contract says i think it was like net 2% net 14 and they said yeah but we didn't get the goods for 60 days more like no, you collected the goods on day one, mm -hmm. and this is day 60. And he says, yeah, but they didn't reach our warehouse. And we're like, but that's not our fault. Mm -hmm. That's just the wording of their contract. Yes. So they were, no matter what we did, they were taking the 2%, but we were laying out that money for two months, or maybe three months. And then they would have had other chargebacks. And you, you were constantly trying to fight, fight, fight to get the money back again. And it was really debilitating. And then they would be running a... a if they were running a promotion, we fund those promotions, not them. And we also had to pay for advertising to drive the customer to Walmart. So people expect whenever you go into a retailer that the customers are just going to rock up and everybody's going to buy your product. It's not how it happens. The customers don't get there by accident. They get there because you sent them there. That's how they get there. That's what marketing is. Mm -hmm. So that so you get into bed with Walmart mm -hmm. and it wasn't very and then nice in there. realized that we were getting back out again because we were selling more products online than we were in retailers. Okay, so and we're selling millions of products here. When we're talking like across all the stores and you're online and all, are we talking millions of products? You're, to you're, you're talking hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands, of okay. So, so how do you, so there's, is there ego attached with stepping away from big stores like that or did that not come into play for you at all? I don't think ego came into play with it, no. It was, it's more a case of we had the credibility of being in those stores. Yes. So we had benefited from being there mm -hmm. and we just had to chalk it up to this was a marketing expense to have been in those stores. Yes. And now we know that our product, and this was like 2016, 17, around about then, and we were just like, our product's going to sell much better online than in stores. We can see in black and white here, we've got the data. Mm -hmm. And we decided that we were going to focus on our on our online products, and we were also removing a lot of our distributors within Europe at that point. So anybody that wasn't doing a, a raging trade for us in Europe, we just said we'll do it ourselves directly. That there was no point in uh, having a middleman there, because we could still sell on Amazon in Europe. We didn't need them to do that, so we could still sell in Europe. So you were always looking at your business like holistically. Like I think a lot of people maybe stick their head in the sand when things aren't working and then it gets too late to fix it. Do you ever hear that? Like, I mean, if you had it kept in there with Walmart just for the marketing purposes or whatever, things would not be where they are now. Like, you wouldn't be sitting here telling the same story. No, but sure, you wouldn't have money to pay people if you were doing that. I know, but there a lot- There would be no salaries paid. I know. I know, and a lot more stress. So, but we still got into a very stressful situation. You, you did anyway uh -huh. because of life throws all these curveballs, but COVID happened then. Yeah. Talk, to, talk to me about that, because that was a big thing for your business, for everybody. We, we, we hate talking about COVID, but it's a part of our life. We just called the C word in our house. Well, we don't talk about it. We didn't watch the news. We don't watch the news ever in our house, and we don't read the newspapers, mm -hmm. unless it's pure gossip. <laughs> it's all I read is pure gossip. Okay. But 
COVID happened and in America, we, we, we're watching our seals on a daily basis. As a matter of fact, on different days of the year, we're watching them on an, hour, on an hourly basis. And we went from selling hundreds and hundreds a day to selling 20 and into single figures. And I was like, what is happening here? But America had kind of switched off the tap and then we saw it happening in Europe. And because we can see these sales in real time online, we knew this is a bit of a disaster here, as we thought. But then Amazon, who we were selling at this point through Vendor Central, and Vendor Central is like, imagine Amazon is a Walmart, where we sell them containers of goods, and they own them, and they sell them. So they had bought containers of goods of us, and they were stocking up for the summer because that would be our peak season because it's a travel product. Mm -hmm. And don't we all know nobody was allowed to travel mm -hmm. during COVID? Of course. It was one of my delightful treats that I had. <laughs> so nobody was going anywhere. They were taking their children. So there was no need for a bulbum. No. Nope. And we, um, we ended up that Walmart were sending back all the goods. Mm -hmm. And we said, you can't send them back because you bought them and you haven't had them for 160 days, which is the terms, but they were still sending them back irrespective. So we had to then word an email to them that would have painted them in a very poor light if they were seen to do this, it wasn't ethical what they were doing in order for them to keep the goods and to honour their side of the agreement. And they did keep the goods in the end up. But we were still going through every day, still having to, still having to pay staff, no money coming in and then furloughs all come in but we still had to pay all the outgoings we were still paying our rent we were still paying all our insurances which were 10 fortunes we still had to pay all of that with no money coming in and we didn't think we were going to get any loan from the bank when the CBILS loans come out it took us the best part of a year to get on that program and then i was diagnosed with cancer yes in the middle of it all which was another exciting thing to add to the list so in the March, so this is March a year later when we were still in lockdown, I think it was probably our 17th lockdown, I ended up having breast cancer. I had a double mastectomy, a good two new ones. They look new amazing. They great. Yes, they look great, yes. <laughs> and lymph nodes removed. And then, so that was, I got that done in the April of 2021. Mm -hmm. And then that Christmas, I ended up having to have a full hysterectomy. So I'm halfway through a gender realignment that I didn't even sign up to. Yes. Well, that striked me. And then the January, so that's a month later, my mum died. And six weeks later, I had to have the reconstruction done again and fat grafting done because it didn't work the first time. And the following week, my dad died. Now, this, you have to remember, this is still within a period of a year. And my dad died of sepsis. And then eight, six, six or eight weeks later, I was taken into hospital with appendicitis and I also had sepsis. But I didn't die. I'm still here. You are. I'm still here. With new boobs. Amazing ones. See? Yeah. So it was a, and during that time, so from the April to the June, literally the week after my dad died, my husband and I sat down and I said, we have to pivot this business. We can't continue with this model. And he said, no, I agree. So we both agreed that we needed to change something. And the thing we needed to change was that we needed to stop selling to Amazon, but continue using Amazon to sell our products through. So using it as a platform, so that would be an FBA model. And we, it would have taken us six weeks in high season to sell through the goods that 
vendor central were holding, so their own goods, before we could actually start selling our own. Which meant that we wouldn't have any income for those six weeks either, because they already had the stock and they weren't reordering, because we were rejecting orders and we were coming into our peak season, so we were rejecting tens of thousands of units. Wow. But, but, if you look back to 2019, 2019 prior to COVID, we had 17 of the staff compared to this year, where we have 17 members. Seven. Seven, from 17 to seven, and this is now after COVID. So 19 would have been a really good year. 2023, we stand to almost double our turnover. With seven with staff. seven staff. We are back this week with our sponsor, Night Owl Studio. Night Owl are a creative agency and they're based in Cookstown, County Tyrone, but like everybody, they're virtual now. You can literally get them from anywhere in the world. If you're listening, you can avail of their services. They're a one-stop shop for businesses looking for design, photo or video content. Now, this week, I wanted to let you know about one of their core services, which is web design. So like nowadays, whether you're selling online or you just want a place for your customers to see your work, a website is crucial. It's just a crucial part of growing your business, whether you're uh, an established brand or maybe you just need a refresh or maybe you're a startup and you're looking like a captivating website to be that salesperson for you 24-7. Well, then Night Owl are the team that can help you with this. They, they specialize in creating like modern, responsive websites, which is what we all need. And the the website, you know, it turns your vision of your business into reality for the customer. And Night Owl work really hard on each project, like tailoring it to your needs as a customer so that you're, your customer gets the best experience when they land on it and that you stand out. So at the minute, they're working on a really exciting um, refresh for me for Dig Mama. Um, this is the Dig podcast, but I also have digmama.com. And within that, the whole Dig brand will be housed and we'll be working really, really hard on each element of it and making sure that the, the consumer can navigate through it really well and that it's it's functional and just it's, we're really excited about it. We're working really hard and that should be live very, very soon. But if you're listening and you're thinking, you know what, I need a refresh on my website or I need a website, I'm just a startup, then Night Owl are a brilliant company to work with. Um, Really, really, I get on so well with them, Tierney and Francine and the whole team there. So they've also said if you wanted to get in touch and you perhaps you needed a website, refresh, design, then you can get 20% off, which is brilliant if you use the code DIG20. So just mention it. If you're contacting them on social media, put it in the contact box on their website. Just let them know that you've heard this advert here in the podcast and that you'd like to avail of their 20% off. Why not? Also, if you want to find out more about Night Owl, you can visit their own website at nightowlni.com and you can follow them on Instagram at nightowlstudioni underscore. That's because you changed the model of how you do business. You looked at it strategically. We changed the model, but also we have been so granular about everything that we do. We are measuring everything and everybody knows it's been measured. And I think before we weren't being really crystal clear about what needed to be measured. Like what needs to be measured? Give so, me an idea. So let's say, for example, in our Amazon, we're looking at it every day. We want to know what is the return on ad spend today? You know, what was it yesterday? What was it like three weeks ago? What was it like a year ago? What was it like four years ago? So wow. we're doing all these comparisons and we're looking at it every single day. We're, that's just one of them. We have a number of them that we, that we measure. But things like, things like um, what, is the, what is the cost per unit ad spend? 
what is the, the total cost per unit? And the great thing is when it's online, it's all measurable. I know. Everything's measurable. And is it about people in your team that know how to do that? Because our team are the best team. Okay. Because you would you know how to do that or do you have people that know how to do that? Do people do you learn all these things yourself, then delegate, or do you get the people that know how to do it and put your trust in them? Because sometimes that can be hard for business owners to give over that trust for such a big part of their business. What would you give advice about that? Do you know what I'm trying to say? People that are smart. Why? I need everybody to be smarter than me. I'm not the smartest girl in the house. Like I need everybody to be smarter than me. And that's exactly what I've done. They're all smarter than me. They do the work and they deserve the credit. Mm-hmm. They do. All I do is keep them on task. Yes. And say, I think we should go this direction. Well, we all go this road. But I'll always listen to them and whatever directions they're given. And hands up to listen to them. Yes. I don't always know the answers. No, that's for sure for lots of people that are listening, but I think that I think people can get bogged down in having to do the grind of having to do it all themselves, Grania, and then it can get overwhelming and then you feel like giving up because you just can't do it all. That's about changing people's mindsets that we need to delegate and get people in that are better than us. Sometimes you, it's sometimes you can't it can, do anything only on your own. You can't do anything only on your own. You have got if you want something to get bigger, you need to have your people on board to do it with you. Yeah. And everybody has to be aligned and everybody has to be following the same thing. If you're all following the same star, you're all going the same direction. Like, and we're really clear about what it is. And, and all of our KPIs are aligned with exactly what we're trying to achieve. And our targets for every month, are, are everything is interlinked. Yes. And Grania, whenever you were, this is a very busy life you're leading. You've got two boys, the, your diagnosis, your mum and dad dying. You had to change your mindset too about business and how much work you were doing. Talk to us about that because there's loads of people um, listening that are in that hustle, that grind, and it can affect your, you know, it starts to affect you mm-hmm. as a person. You get a bit broken. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about that because we and you talked about this before we came, whenever I called you that day and you were saying something had to change. Yeah, what? something had to change. So I had come through a, like a significant period of time where, I think as I said to you, I, I had read somewhere about life speaks to you and whispers but I can't remember who said it I'm so sorry for whoever said it I can't remember but it was amazing and basically what it, what it is is life speaks to you with, with small things and then the whisper gets louder and louder and louder until eventually it's a shouting at you so for me life has hit me a slap every so often like I was in a, 2015 in the February we were in a car crash as a family in America going over for a business meeting we were meeting friends and we were in a really bad crash then that August I had a heart surgery done which, which is great. I'm like a bionic man. You are? Yeah, I'm like a bionic man. <laughs> so I had that done and I still continued. Like I went down to work the next day after I got out of the hospital. Who does that? I think I was an idiot. That was such a silly thing to do. I know, but you're And not, I expected sure. that of everybody else because I was stupid enough to do it, right? And then fast forward to being sick for a number of other things that had happened, which were grand. And then getting cancer and I was like, ah, but I'm still going to go back into work. So I was back in work four weeks after surgery, thinking that I was, was a dog's bollocks, basically. And the great girl me back into work. And I slowly started to realise that, first of all, I had no joy. I couldn't feel any joy for anything. I couldn't look forward to anything beyond this moment in time. I couldn't look forward to, if you had said to me, Granny, I got you this lovely big ice cream now and you're going to love this. I couldn't even have enjoyed it. Everything on the outside was happening as normal, but I wasn't feeling any of it. Like, it was completely numb. And I now know that that was me in transactional mode. So my time in work had helped me to be transactional through that whole process. 
But being transactional and not actually feeling is not benign. That has to come out somewhere. It manifests in other ways. And for me, it was manifesting in that my brain was completely fried. I couldn't have had a conversation, really. I couldn't, like, I literally couldn't string words. I said to you at the start of this, I find it hard to find words. You probably don't believe that now because I haven't shut up. <laughs> I find it hard to find words and sometimes I get really totally lost in my sentence uh -huh. or lost whatever I'm saying something. And that's because my brain literally had turned to mush and I'm on medication now as well that does the same thing. So I was finding all that really hard and I took some treatment, some therapy. And I learned during that therapy, when I went on the call, I had said to her, you know, I've lost all my body parts, everything that makes me a woman. And she said, but parts aren't what make you a woman. Your very essence is femininity. You are the essence of femininity. Your body parts don't make you a woman. And that really helped. Yes. And then she also said to me, I said, what am I going to do? And this is happening, and this is happening in work. And, and it, literally everything was like falling out of me. I was telling her, and she said, but that's only four now. So I now use that phrase for me, whenever things are really, I, I can, I'm really good at compartmentalizing things. Mm -hmm. So I put everything under the egg curtain, compartmentalize everything in my head. But I found that at that time, I couldn't because I was just transacting, I wasn't dealing with anything, all building up. And then whenever she said to me, these things are just for now, this will change, change will come. And I was like, oh, that was wild clever. I paid her for that and all I needed was them two words. Change will come. And I don't work Fridays. I know we're going to talk about that the uh -huh. dream uh -huh. but do you think that like there's so much like I, I, I resonate so much with what you're saying my mind is mush I'm so busy uh, I can't get think I can't enjoy something. you're far younger than me you imagine what you'd be like when you get to my age I know but I know <laughs> but I'm trying to hook into your what you're saying so that I can try to fix this and I know some people listening will be the same because I hear them say it mm. when I'm mentoring and when we're at events and stuff. Do we need, are we going to need to go to therapy to fix this? What can you tell us now to try and make us realise that actually there's a bigger picture and it's life? I'll tell you what really, what really helps, what really helps me anyway, is exercise. Okay. So exercise for me has been my form of meditation and I didn't even know it was meditation. So I was exercising six days a week. I want to say exercising, I mean going to the gym and doing like really hard circuit classes every day. That's not ideal either because then your body starts to suffer. Yes. So if you can find a way of meditating and getting your head out of it, and like I say, compartmentalizing things, there's, there's things that you can't do anything about. Yeah. And you have to be able to recognize those things and say, look, there's nothing I can do about this now. And stop dwelling on it and park it. You have to learn to park stuff. And I think I've actually gotten better at parking stuff. Well, you've been through a lot to help ther you. Therapy does help. It does, it, ther therapy does, and when you say I, therapy, was it CBT? No, 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 no. It was, it was, it was talking therapy. Okay. And, and I probably only had about three sessions. Okay. I did only have three sessions. But they kind of came at really important times. And then I also had like a cohort group. It's about talking to people that understand. And it's really difficult when you're in business to find other people because you know you can't talk about the stuff that's going on in your business to just anybody you meet no. and you can't talk about it when you're out with a girl for a drink no you, it's that's not the sort of conversation that you have and it's probably maybe the biggest issue issues that you have are within your business so i have a cohort group within my um ernst and young alumni group and we get together regularly and i actually found that that really helps me 
and it has really helped me throughout the course of my recovery. So the lesson there for people listening is to find a tribe of like-minded people that can actually resonate mm -hmm. with your issues because they're probably mm -hmm. going through it too. Yeah, and don't problem be afraid solving. Of thinking, I used to think other oh, businesses are all far bigger than mine and they're all far smarter than me and they're all but we all have the same issues. Well we didn't all have the same issues then, but because I had already been so open with them and literally laid everything on the table that was going on workwise, they could understand the full picture. Whereas my friends wouldn't they wouldn't see and it's not that they wouldn't understand it, but it's just you tend not to discuss your business stuff with your friends. And what, um, so th this is definitely to do with that topic, but there's a lot of people hold back in life and in business because they're afraid of what other people are going to think, Grania. So what would you say to those people that are holding back, telling what's wrong, and um, moving forward, taking action because they're like, I'm afraid what people are going to say or they're going to think. What would you say to people that are listening that are thinking that? What does it matter what they're going to say? What is it? Who does it matter to? What? What will they say whenever you're really super successful? What will they be saying then? Everybody laughed at me. And I mean everybody laughed at me. Laughed. And I says, well, fair enough. I mean, I laughed at me too, to be fair. But, but if you're coming out with something that's really different that people haven't heard of before, their immediate reaction is to kind of laugh. Mm -hmm. And the other thing to do, and it's something that I have tried really hard not to do, is when you stop ridiculing and judging others, you stop judging yourself and ridiculing yourself. So that actually starts to leave you. I used to find it really hard, and, and I still find it hard to do, not to ridicule, not to judge others. I do find it really hard, and I have to work on it every minute of every day. But I'm kinder to me as a result. Was that, how did you learn that? I don't, do you know what, it actually happened as as is a wee bit off the wall, but I actually was listening to somebody being, talking about Madeline McCann and I could hear them talking, the things that they were saying about their, about that situation. And, dad. Mm -hmm. and I got really upset about it. And I just thought, those people are going through so much mm -hmm. already and how can people be so unkind and judge them and so unfair? And I know I was always like that. It takes a big person to admit that. And I was always like that. And, I, and even in, in work, like I was expecting things of people that was totally unreasonable, totally unreasonable that I had to apologise for. I was expecting people to come into work if they were if they were sick, you would they'd be back in the next morning again and they better look sick. And I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> but that is what I was thinking. I know, and and a lot of people listening would be the same too. But you're very good at admitting it. I think that's what helps you fix it when you admit it, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It took me a while to admit it, but I just knew that it was wrong. No. I know. I, whenever I remember I told you I used to have a shop and mm -hmm. um, every time I had a baby I was back to work. So I have three kids yeah. and I was back to work in um, two weeks, sometimes ten days to do the wages in the office and then back in in three weeks. And then when I got my staff who were all female and they were taken off, I used to look at them with contempt. That oh, what are you imagine they're getting nine, nine months. That's disgusting. Oh. My hip now, it's terrible. Lazy. This, this is not how I feel, but it's what I thought. I, I don't know if they're different, but I was so consumed with how it should be done that I didn't realise what was the right thing to be done. Yeah. I, I, I'm ashamed to say that, but I feel like you've given me a space to admit that. Yeah. I've never said that before, but but who is that? Is that what business turns you into, where you're a, a little bit 
unrealistic about life. I think it is. I think it does turn people into that, but it's about awareness, is what you it's said. About, it's about awareness, and that's not good. And believe me, I still haven't got it right. I know, neither I. But but at least know. I'm trying. I know. I am actually trying, and I and whenever I came back to work as well, I said I, I blamed work. I said I've been travelling every week for eight years, and it was like going to America, flying an economy class, being there for maybe one night. Flying back the next day again, going straight into work again. Like, there's no sense in any of that. It doesn't make any sense to do that. But I was really sore on myself and a really hard taskmaster on myself. I just expected everybody else to have the same standards. I was the silly one. I know, but you're like a majority of business owners. That's how you do get through. And actually, I know you know him, but I interviewed Pete Boyle on the podcast, some man he, he is. in my class at school, but he used to copy Well, you must have been two bad rips. He copied my homework all the time. Well, I can't imagine the crack in your class if you were both in the same class. But anybody who hasn't listened to Pete said that he got a really big awakening and realization when he realized everybody wasn't like him. Yeah. So he encouraged all his friends to start businesses and you could do this and you should do this. And then they did it and they didn't have the same mindset, the yeah. same work ethic, the same values, the same, because they're different. Everybody's, yeah. and you can't have, no. and I, that hit me that day. I was like, God, oh, I'd be like, God, I'd be saying to like, you know, you should, you could do this and you could do that, but everybody's not like everybody else. Everybody's different. So Pete said that too, must run in your class, that yeah. kind of thing. But I just think that's the entrepreneurial mind, isn't it? In the business, but you need to have awareness because yeah. then things can just all start to crumble around you and the people and the relationships and all of that. Um, Sure, we could talk all day, and we—I would love to. But I want to talk about the future. So, um, I have—I I never looked at my notes once. That's a sign of a good interview. But I have them already asking you questions at the end. I, I know. <laughs> um, I—I I, I listened to women in business. There, you were just speaking up before me, and a woman asked a deadly question, and she said, "Could you give one piece of advice in a sentence to people in business or in the world of work that are trying to get through?" And you said something. Can you remember what you said? Um, and it was oh, one I line. Oh, I said take calculated risks. Yes. What does that mean? So if you're... Don't bet the farm. Because if you take calculated risk and all goes belly up, you will make the right decisions if you haven't bet the farm on it. Your, de your decision making is seriously impacted whenever... If you think you're going to lose the house. Yeah. Really, I think you're much better to have other funds in place and make sure that your own house is safe. So true. And I also spoke to Brenton McDowell, who owns Be Perfect Cosmetics and Voodoo Hair, and he said the same thing about taking steps but never risking it at all on yeah. that because then you know you're safe. Yeah. That's really good advice because sometimes you do think, oh, I'll just invest all my money in and then, or invest all my, whatever it may be, time, money, whatever. So that was really, I love that wee line that you give her. Um, What's been the most challenging part of it all? This whole work journey. I think the work journey, I think the, the transition, I think the transition that we've made last year was the most difficult but the most rewarding. But I also think that it was the most difficult because of all the other factors that were going on at the one time. Mm -hmm. Like your health and life. Like and pretty much loss. everything that happened was within a 12 month period. And most people would get that over their whole life. Which means I get nothing now for the rest of my life because everything's Let's done. hope you deserve everything nothing. Done. But I, I think that, that that transition was very difficult because it was difficult for our team as well. 
to be looking and going, there's no money coming in. And I'm sure they were worrying and thinking, oh, you know, are we going to have a job at the end of this? And I find that really hard, of course. I find it really hard. As a matter of fact, it was the first thing I thought about when I was diagnosed, how am I going to tell our team? Because the first thing you go to when somebody gives you news like that is, what about me? So they would have been thinking, what does this mean for me? Will I lose my job? That's a human thing to do. Yes. I know. And, and you're not afraid to say it out loud, which is so refreshing. And I hope nothing challenging comes your way after everything that you've been through. But I guess life, you never know what's ahead of us tomorrow. I'm sure you don't. The, the series of the podcast all about the future, Grania. So apparently, uh, you know, the robots are going to be coming very soon and artificial intelligence and the future of work. And it's all very scary but exciting and nobody really knows and all what do you see the future of bubble bum what is what are you doing now that is innovative or different or embracing the futuristic way of work we are well we're changing our we're introducing a new product okay exciting so we're doing a huge amount of 3d printing at the minute with the help of um, northwest regional college in Lamavati. big shout out to them and, and there's something there in that, isn't there, to people listening that actually the local colleges are doing such unbelievable work at they supporting are, businesses. They actually are, and they are. They in particular have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are fleshing out the whole brand now. So we're we are having many different verticals within our brand, and that we'll just have to wait to see what that. It's not giving away too much. We'll but have to wait to see what that entails. But, but yeah, we're, we're growing out the brand, so it's not just like one product. And you do always have to be moving, don't mm-hmm. you? Because you'll, things will take over and, and people will move in front of you and competitors and all of that. And there's a whole conversation that we were going to talk about, about competitors and people perhaps stealing your product yeah. and all of that. Um, and maybe you will come back then, maybe in the next series, and we'll talk about different issues. But for now, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you. You make me laugh so much because you're saying all the things everybody's afraid to say and that's why I love you like you do but you have to be honest there's no point in talking and saying what you think people want to hear I know but some people do do that but you're refreshing and you don't and that's what stood out to me like you were at this women in business conference with all these unreal fabulous women this is is like before Covid so like 2015 whatever I can't remember Grania can you remember what year that was you spoke in the Galagorn and I remember thinking oh my god she's not wise she's just saying blah blah like just you know you let the odd word out of you that nobody else would but it was it just I never forgot you so I think people need real talk and definitely people who listen to like podcasts need real talk they want to hear how you do it why you shouldn't do that and why you should do that and that's exactly why I think you're unreal thank you for being a guest on the dig podcast and um good luck with everything and I'll see you next year in series eight right thank you so much thank you